This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view or listen to today's podcast. Thank you for being a regular listener, and we invite you to invite others to tune in to the Thrive Podcast as well. We drop the video portion on every Monday, uh, but we also have uh, Bible studies and worship experiences that are a part of the Thrive Podcast on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We invite you to let us know how we're doing with the Thrive Podcast. You can write me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, and I'd love to hear from you with regard to what we're doing well, what we can improve upon. I'm very happy today to welcome as my guest, Miss Portia, who is a native of Baton Rouge. She is a songstress. She is a choreographer. She is a dancer. She is a very creative young lady. And I'm very grateful that you took the time to share with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell me, who is Miss Portia? And how did Miss Portia come to enjoy jazz music in the way that you do? Well, Miss Portia, who is very different from Portia, um, she is a very, um, ah, she has a lot of personality. She has a lot of attitude. And um, uh, on stage, she is a boss lady. So Okay, so let's just go ahead and get started real quick. So you're <laughs> saying that Miss Portia is your stage persona, much like... Sasha Fierce, I believe it is, is, is Beyonce's yes. stage yes. Uh, uh, presence. Okay, so how do you distinguish between the stage? Because the stage presence is an extension of you, correct? <laughs> so, 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 so help, help me to understand the distinction between Portia and Miss Portia. Miss Portia might say some things that Portia personally might be a little bashful about. <laughs> but Portia believes. Portia believes what Miss Portia says. I'm just curious. Portia doesn't necessarily disagree. She just <laughs> <laughs> she's just not as big of an advocate as Miss Portia is. Miss Portia is probably very um, firm, aggressive, and you know, um, um, it's hard to describe. Nothing's coming to mind right now as okay. far as the words are concerned, but she is very dominant. She's a she's a go getter. But uh, Miss Portia is kind of like um, on a regular day at the house watching TV on the couch kind of person. Okay, I have come to understand through reading and through these podcasts uh, because <laughs> several of the people that uh, we have had on as guests have been creative type people, comedians, actors, actresses, poets, what have you. I've come to understand that one of the commonalities between all of these creative people is that almost to a person, uh, they tend to be shy or introverted uh, other than when they are exercising their gift. Uh, we talked before we started taping, <laughs> and one of the things that, that, that you brought out is that uh, you, you, you tend to be a little bit introverted. Is that something that you find 
in your experience is common to creative types that that when they're not in their moment of, of creativity of, of performance that they tend to be a little introverted and and pushed yeah, back? I think so because when you're dealing with the arts this is the only profession that is um, judged on opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, a, well, not the only, but it, it, it's solely if you like me, I can eat. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get so that. It, it's a matter of um, ex- exposing your vulnerable self to people that you don't know mm-hmm. in hopes that they will accept you. Mm-hmm. So. I could see how anyone in in that predicament would be nervous. You know, you don't get to the point where you don't care until you've learned how to um, manage your business correctly. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. even with the arts, any type of art, there is still business behind it. And um, you could be really nonchalant about your work, but you'll be very cautious when it comes to your business Mm -hmm. or you could be nonchalant with your business because that part's taken care of but you're worried about whether or not somebody's going to accept it because if they don't like it they won't buy it right right your your primary genre of music is jazz um soul soul like a r&b mixed with gospel and blues it's kind of yeah just a jumble of Okay, <laughs> I, I, I I misunderstood. I, I thought it was primarily jazz, and I was going to ask the question: uh, How does a young woman get involved in in jazz? But uh, if it's soul, uh, who, who is it that 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 you admire in the music business, and and that you you aspire? I know you want to be your own person, but but who is it that whose career you aspire toward? Maybe. I hope I'm asking that. I think I understand your question. Um, who is um, iconic for me? Yes. Who, who did I want to be? Well, I would like to say that I would like the success of Patti LaBelle. Okay. Um, she's able to, she was able to be a figure, do her job, but still be herself. I love that she, um, and I only know this because I know a person who does go to her dressing room after the show. Mm-hmm. She cooks this big spread and, you know, she welcomes people back. I want to make sure that when, after I finish doing my job for everybody who I didn't see, I get to spend a little time with the people that I do know mm-hmm. and um, and still be myself in a comfortable setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when, when, when you are... In studio and when you are uh, producing, performing these songs, um, you work in collaboration with uh, other producers. You you have an agent and and the whole nine yards, or or do you self-produce? Um, it can happen many of those ways. Um, you're usually supposed to have a team. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm not speaking of myself. I don't current. I'm currently rebuilding my team. Okay. Um, but I. Um, but but it can be done in so many different ways. There's some people who have um, an entourage, and then there's some people like me who have just you know kind of been picking up and learning people as we go along. Be like, okay, I like your work. Let me work with you. You know. But for the most part, there is no. And skit. and and <laughs> most of this is local. Yes. Okay. So, 
you're a local entrepreneur. It, it, would that be a fair way of describing you? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Entrepreneurship is, is is a big topic with me, uh, particularly with I regard mean, that you say to, that, yes. <laughs> to the black community and uh, the economic needs that exist within the black community. And one of the one of the greatest needs is for more black entrepreneurship. So when I'm talking to someone who's developing their own music, creating their own venues, creating their own uh, product that they're selling to the public, uh, I'm talking to an entrepreneur. And I'm curious how you feel about the risk that you are taking I'm scared uh, with regard <laughs> to, to your ability to succeed as a black woman in a fairly small, conservative, southern, white city. You want to talk about that? Not a lot. (laughs) Uh, I think I answered your question as it was coming out. It is... It is terrifying Mm -hmm. to invest your hard-earned money into anything Mm -hmm. without a guarantee especially in today's economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just think about it. The government was shut down, you know. Right. So. And as we're sitting here, may shut down again next week. That's what the president has, has said, that if Congress does not meet his demands, that he was willing to shut the government down again on February 15th. And so as we're sitting here, oh, so the day we're after talking Valentine's about, Day, yeah. just, you know, hit it with a sweet. Yes. Know. All right. So I'm done with that topic. <laughs> but but, but I, I find that topic interesting because if black people are going to do more than just make it, but actually thrive. Thrive podcast. Uh, we're always talking about this idea of thriving. Uh, if we're going to thrive, then then we're going to have to be willing to take risks. And uh, of course, inherent in in any risk is the opportunity to fail. And then it becomes a matter of what happens after you fail. So maybe maybe I should ask you this question. You've been putting music out now for several years. Have you ever experienced failure? Have you ever put out something that you thought was going to do well and it did not meet your expectation? And if so, how did you respond to that? Mm-mm. I have experienced failure, but I did not let it keep me there. Um, if I have to be honest, with my audience or with anybody out there that's willing to take a risk or or wanting to take a risk, you have to ask yourself, how bad do you want it? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you want anything worth having is worth working for, you know, but if you think that you're supposed to get on the first time, then maybe you don't want it bad enough. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, when they asked me, what would I tell someone who's quitting? quit really mm-hmm. because clearly you don't want it badly mm-hmm. enough interesting 
real quick. Because, you, you know. You bounce back from defeats, from setbacks, by by struggling through, by persevering. Kicking and screaming. Yeah. Crying and all of that. And a lot of people, I'm child, I'm the most emotional person you probably ever meet. But um but I don't quit. I might talk about it, I might think about it, I might but I don't quit. I I I, <laughs> I far beat the little engine that could. Mm-hmm. So I am um but this industry in any industry will grow you up. It will force you to do it, it, if you want to have something you never had, you got to do something you've never done. Mm-hmm. And that's just the bottom line when it comes to the industry. If you don't learn, <clears throat> that's anything. If you don't learn what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. learn about it enough to understand it and take notes of your failure mm-hmm. so that you can come back and and achieve what you're trying to achieve. But what I can't stand more than anything, this is my biggest pet peeve. I'll talk to people who have done something in it and it didn't go the way that they wanted to do or whatever. It was a big mistake. And mm-hmm. I say, well, what were you thinking? And they say, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. And I get so offended. I really do. Because I say, however, however old they are, how dare you wake up every day and think that you have the liberty to not think. Right. So it right. just. And perhaps they just don't know how to respond to the question. Uh, because I find that people tend to want to rationalize their failure. Uh, and they want to excuse their failure. But they don't want to own up to their failure. Uh, they often say things like, oh, I wasn't thinking. or Right. But, but Somebody else messed it. me over. So, yeah. You know, give it, if if give they it had done what they were supposed to do, then I wouldn't be in the situation Well, why not that accept the things that the fact that these people are still a part of your life? Right. You know, there are things that you can control that you are not controlling because you choose to give the excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, don't give your control away. Mm-hmm. Handle the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> and and do what you can do with what you have until you can do better. Yeah, yeah. How'd you get started in music? My daddy. <laughs> Talk about it. This is his dream. This is his thing. And uh, <laughs> he asked me to come and sing with him and at the end of the night they paid me and I was like okay so what time are we doing this again <laughs> so your father's a performer yes okay my mother of course is the music of ministry uh, at Wesley and uh, so both of them dabble in music and my brother is uh, he plays the drums <laughs> okay so you come from a musical background. Absolutely. Um, but but your father actually is a professional musician. Yes. And he asked you to come and sing with him, and you got... Paid. And that was it. <laughs> I was like, where the dollars at? Daddy. Okay. 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 Uh, so you started off singing in church? Yes. Did you enjoy singing in church, or well, was that something that you had to do? If you have to say, if you have to ask my dad, I started off singing um, "My Lady Soul." That's our song. 
Okay. Um, um, he used to sing that to me all the time. And I, he said, <laughs> when we used to go out, I said, I'm my daddy lady, so. <laughs> I'm my daddy lady, so. So I just, you know, we used to always sing together. Mm-hmm. Favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you spent some time in the military. Yes. Um, did you enjoy that experience? What 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 led to that to that decision to go into the military? <laughs> the first question, the answer was, <laughs> "Did you enjoy it?" It was what it was. <laughs> <laughs> did you go in through ROTC or did you enlist? I went. I went um, my mama came in my room and said, "You have to do four years somewhere," and so I said, "Bye." <laughs> now. When I said it, you talking about somebody with a loose neck and was just, you know, hard-headed, and I deserved every lesson I learned in the service. Okay. <laughs> and I came back with a humble heart. <laughs> okay. Mom, I'm sorry. So, help, help, help set the scene. You were being Portia. And your mother decided that Portia needed a a, a, a shot of maturity. No, her rule is uh, at, at, after high school you got to do four years somewhere. My brother was in school already. Okay. And I didn't like you, how it looked. You didn't want to go to school. Uh, you know, he was just he didn't look happy. <laughs> okay. So when she said you have to do four years somewhere, uh, she was saying it was either college. Well, she didn't. Or the military. I don't think she even thought that I would look for a loophole. I really thought that she was trying to say, you either got to go to school or you got to get out the house. And okay. So I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> I went prom shopping, and this recruiter followed me around and was telling me about the military. And I was like, you're going to have to walk and talk because I got things to do. <laughs> he did. And he, I guess he said some of the right stuff. I was like, wait. I can move out and get paid. All right, sign me up. Let's go. I didn't think much about it at all, but that was young Portia, not thinking. And that's why I guess I wasn't thinking it's such a big pet peeve for me. So where'd you do your basic, Fort Pope? <sighs> now, when I say Fort Jackson, everybody that's prior service is gonna say relaxing Jackson. But let me just tell you, I was not relaxing. <laughs> It's not at all comfortable, okay? Okay. And uh, did you have a particular specialty that you were interested in while you were in military service? I was um, personnel service. I did a lot of um, administrative work, but I had the uh, post office uh, Foxfire Mm -hmm. at the time, so I I did that. Um, My vocal abilities did land me some lanyards, and I was able to not have to stand in formation sometimes because I was singing the national anthem, and when everybody else had to go to work, I ate the cake, you know. Okay, okay. (laughs) So what did you learn through the four years that you were in the military? You said that you came back humbled. I what, did. What, what, what humbled you about four years of military well, service? Well, the Army has an acronym called leadership, and um, it's LDR, and the first one is loyalty, duty, and then it's respect. The S is for selfless service. The H is for honor. And uh, I is integrity, and P is personal courage. I found that to be, I might be missing something, but it's been a while. But I do find that acronym to be something to live by. Mm -hmm. And integrity, 
you know, you really don't realize how important it is until you watch someone and see how they treat other people. It will it will help you gauge on how to uh, respond to them or how close you want to keep them in your area. Because mm-hmm. you know how they say, be careful how you um, how people treat you when they think they don't need you. Right. So right. Um, I mean, the army has taught me a lot, especially attention to detail. I back to that. Um, wasn't thinking thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hold myself accountable for so much that went wrong because I wasn't thinking. Mm-hmm. I should have been thinking. I should have been making better decisions. You spent time overseas, so you had the opportunity to enjoy different cultures. Uh, or not. Or not enjoy different cultures. Uh, you said that you spent time in Korea. You mm-hmm. spent time in Japan. Uh, what What did you see in those cultures that uh, you found to be uh, attractive as opposed to living in the United States of America? Anything or nothing? Um, I'd have to say the shopping was nice in Korea. Um, It was an experience. Um... If I had to go back in time, I would probably still do the shopping, but I would have told a little portion to put a little something to the side. Mm-hmm. Just because they pay you every first and fifteenth of me at the spin of this passage. <laughs> well, I just think that that's true for, for everybody who's young, period. Yeah. Uh when when they get paid on Friday and they're broke on Monday. Ooh, sure. uh, uh it just means that nobody gave them the discipline on on what to do with dollars. Well, I mean, you go from not really having bills, because I always had a job, but I didn't really have any responsibility, and then I went into the Army, and they were paying for my room and board and food, too, so it was like, what? I went from little bank to a big bank, but I still didn't, like you said, have the discipline or anybody to, not that I didn't have anybody. Mm -hmm. I wasn't talking to anybody. I wasn't, I didn't want nobody in my business because I was grown now. Yeah. Were you happy to come home when you left military, to come back to Baton Rouge, or, or did you come straight back home, or did you venture other, to other places? I came home, but I did a lot of uh, traveling, I, um, and I have to say that that's the part that I missed. Um, so that has been... A part that was a part of my goals, mm-hmm. and now that I have the music industry, it's pretty easy. I travel and uh, you know, run the business. Where have you performed besides Baton Rouge? Um, I, I have performed in Harker Heights, I opened up for Miss Betty Wright um, in Birmingham, I've been to uh, the Carolinas. Okay, I've, um, I've done a lot of traveling. A lot. I did. Um, I did get off a cruise in Mexico. We did. Uh, I performed a little bit on the stage out there, and then. Um, you did a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Four days out. F- Four uh, days from Galveston. Uh, I was with a f- few other Southern Soul artists there. Um, okay. And it was just fun. It was a lot of family fun. That was my first cruise. I had my family with me. And okay. We just took over the boat like we always do. <laughs> yeah, brought my mom. Uh-huh. Um, I nicknamed her Can't Take You Nowhere. Oh, really? She steals the show everywhere she goes. Can't take her nowhere. She knows somebody. If she don't know you, she ain't leaving without you. She's adopted on the boat alone. I have to say, I think I have 
seven new siblings. <laughs> well, and if she could have took them home, she would. She's an outgoing type of person with, yeah. a, with, with, with an attractive <laughs> personality. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They say, I'm going to steal your mom. You'll bring her back. <laughs> <laughs> so li- living in these different places, I'm, 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 I'm leading to a question that I ask almost everyone who comes on. Uh, did you enjoy the experience? Do you find it different than living here in Baton Rouge? And the question that I ask most of my guests is, you're a young person. Would you would you be okay if you spent the rest of your life in Baton Rouge? Or do you think that this is just a place that I am for the moment and I might want to spend the rest of my life someplace else? Let me make sure I say this very clearly. I love my city. And there's nothing like Baton Rouge. However, comma, <laughs> my heart is mm. where my mom is. So if she decided today we moving to Texas, well, all right then, Louisiana, I'm gonna see y'all later. Okay. Um, my mama and I, we have that. That's just families here. Mm-hmm. I just that's that's really what's holding me here. Okay. I don't think I would have come back from California. Because I lived in California, too. I forgot to mention that okay. um, when I was in the service. Um, I don't think I would have come back from California if it wasn't for the fact that um, my late aunt Rose Hawkins had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. So it was. I was like, okay, I'm coming home. And um, because we had already lost my mother's other sister, Carol Jean uh, Stimley Adams. Um, so I was like, okay. It's, you know, my family is getting smaller, and I think um, I want to stop and go back to school because everything my mama told me to do, it ended up, I might have done it my way, mm-hmm. but I ended up going back to college. I, I wanted to go to college. When I, I went to, um, when I got out, I couldn't wait to go to BRCC. Okay. And then from there, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I think I've had enough in class in school classes, <laughs> in class schools, I should say. And then I decided to do the rest of my work online, and okay. that was pretty cool. So, You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing you bring up about online because uh, online is, is just a, a modern-day method of correspondence mm-hmm. school. And when I was a kid, I'm much older than you are, when I was a kid, uh, Correspondence schools were frowned upon. They they were looked down upon. They were considered to be inferior. These days, everybody's moving to online education, uh, and uh, there's no stigma attached to it at all anymore. In fact, it seems to be the smarter way to go to school because it frees your time and allows you to do other things while you're getting an education. Um, do you miss the classroom setting? Do you miss the socialization that goes along with the traditional education? <clears throat> I think that if it's class correctly, if that makes sense, um, I felt like when I went to school, of course, I had skipped right out of high school, so I had a break. So by the time I did go to college, I wasn't going to college with the people that I went to school with. Right. So it was different. So I felt I didn't feel like I was in a class of my peers. Um, but I think that if I decided to go further my, my education now mm-hmm. with the setting, I think that I, I would be better off. Because when, when you're in your undergrad, usually 
in undergrad, it's a little you, you're learning social lessons along with your right education lessons. Right. I would prefer a class that people have already learned the social lessons, mm-hmm. and we're a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I prefer the classroom setting now, but not for undergrad. I would have preferred to be online. What was your major? Psychology. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what do you do with a psychology degree? How does that help you? You hang on the wall. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't phrase the question like I wanted to. How does a psychology degree help you with your career as a music performer? That's, that's what I was trying to get to. Um, my psychology degree had nothing to do with uh, business or career at all. My psychology degree was my fascination for understanding the way people think, mm-hmm. um, not being so quick to judge and not being so um, upset with the difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've always felt like I didn't think like my peers. I've, I've always, um, well, you know, my mom's my best friend. So, you know, we didn't talk about what everybody else talked about. We talked about adult, well, not so much. You know what I mean? Sure. She had more mature topics. So by the time I get ready to talk to my friends, they don't know what I'm talking about. So I don't have those kind of conversations. So you fell out of steps. I, I was way more mature than them at the time. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't you know, understand where they were going, but I needed to understand them because I needed to be able to fit in there. And then, of course, my mama's lessons, they came in handy as I got older. Right. At the time, I was a fish out of water. (laughs) I didn't understand what was happening. So I wanted to understand. I wanted to see how everybody thought and understand why people act the way they act. You know? What have you come away with? I find that I'm not so, I don't take things so personally anymore. You know, <coughs> I used to be so affected. Like, for exa- instance, Korea. Korea, perfect example. You go to Korea and you hand them your money. And they're going to take the money out your hand, but they're going to put your change on the table right. and slide it to you. And I used to be so livid about that. I was I, I was so mad. That's so disrespectful. Why don't you put it in my hand? And then I had to learn that that's their culture. Why, you know, they feel like that's disrespectful. They they are not supposed to touch you. Um, so that's why they put it on the table. They're, they're not worthy of touching you. And I was like, oh. Well, since you put it that way, you know, <laughs> you know, but if I, if I, you had, could have that same experience right here in Baton Rouge <laughs> you can, and it had but. nothing to do with <laughs> culture or Korea. No, uh, but so, so, and, and, and I'm listening to you say that, but there are people here who are not Korean. <laughs> who will do exactly what you just well, described. Well, that's where the psychology comes in because you have to look at there's more than one way to thinking about things. I was only experiencing the people down here who did it out of disrespect. I never looked at it from the angle of the Koreans who look at it as a sign of respect. How did you come to the conclusion that it was respectful for them? them. You asked the question. So, So when it happens in Louisiana or in Texas 
or in the Carolinas. Do you ask why are you being so disrespectful? No, because at this point, it doesn't matter. I've, I've, I've already gotten to the point where it's like, okay, half the time when people doing stuff, if you actually take yourself out of the equation and say, would this person do this if this was not me? Then it's, it, you know, why, why are you fighting a battle that has nothing to do with you? Well, let me push back on that just a second. I have found that people ask questions for one of two reasons. Either they want information or they want to start a fight. Not everybody who asks a question asks because they generally don't know and they're seeking knowledge. They're trying to make a point. Um, I don't think that you would have to ask someone who slid the money to you on the counter what his intentions were. If it happened in North Carolina or if it happened in Baton Rouge or if it happened in Houston. I think you know what their intention is. But by raising the question, you're giving them the opportunity to be confronted with their own rudeness, with their own disrespect, and you're challenging them to defend the disrespect that they have shown to you. Isn't that a possibility? And I just want to say God bless you for wanting to invest that kind of time into that situation because I don't even go that far anymore. It's, it's, I guess it's my safety, my defense level of saying, yep, that's you and I'm me. And if today you decide you want to slide money on the table, that's fine. Give me my money. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not here to address how you were raised or your intentions or, I mean, I'm never going to see you again. No, but they're going to see somebody who looks like you again. And if they want to address it, let them address it. I feel like uh, a lot of times people get into arguments because they invest a lot of time in stuff that really doesn't matter to them. Like the the person in the Carolinas, how often are you going to follow up to see if they learned the lesson you took your time to teach? You might not know whether or not you, you might not have the opportunity to follow up. Let me take it to the Bible. Jesus tells a parable about a sower who sows seed, and he talks about four different types of ground that the seed falls on. And he says, in only one of the four instances does the seed actually produce, take root, grow. Uh, but there are three other types of ground upon which the seed fall where nothing is produced from it. But the moral of the story is I'm not responsible for, for what happens to the seed once it's given. I'm responsible for giving the seed. Taking that back to, to the person sliding the money across the counter. I'm not responsible for how they perceive my question. I'm only responsible for giving this person the opportunity to confront himself with his disrespect. And, 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 and perhaps the next person or the 10th person or the 100th person who comes this way, he'll see it and he'll recognize, he or she will see it and recognize that I might need to improve. And you'll never know that it happened, but the potential of it happening makes it worth the time to do so. Well, I feel like God put people on this earth 
to uh, to plant seeds, certain mm-hmm. seeds. Mm-hmm. And as far as when it deals with the money, that's not my seed to plant. Like you got you got the money seed, and I have the hey don't close the door in my face seed. See, that kind of stuff. So I will, so, I will pick so, and choose so, my battle. So if the same guy. Uh, walks through a door in front of you and does not hold the door open for you. You you would say something no, to them about that. No, that's not what that. I mean. Okay. I mean like the same guy um, that I'm walking in a door and he's pulling it closed in my face, not not holding it open. I don't expect anyone to do anything for me that I can do for myself. Okay. But I do have a problem with people who have a problem with um, me achieving my goals. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of stay in my own lane just a little bit. I will uh, correct you if you come in my lane um, as needed or as much as I feel invested to do. But overall, I am responsible for my peace of mind. And I just got that back. Okay. You're responsible for your peace of mind. But you do you feel any responsibility toward helping to educate people with regard to proper respect for other people? Absolutely, when it comes to disrespecting my people. For example, if a child is in the middle of a Walmart doing rambunctious things, I may walk around and tell someone else to go and correct that child. But Mm -hmm. if said child has crossed my mother, then it's my job. to rectify that situation, you know, because that's my people. But for the most part, I will do my best not to invest too much energy into too much of the situation because a lot of times we have a habit of taking on way more than we can be responsible for. Mm -hmm. And right now, I am coming back from taking on far too much responsibility. I had to realize that this is not my fight. You know, I, I had to limit my battles mm-hmm. just a little bit, especially when it's dealing with Miss Portia. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a lot going on. The music and then trying to maintain your life. <sighs> Me, I am one. Well, I mean, counting Miss Portia, I am two people. Okay. <laughs> and okay. That is a lot of responsibility okay. to be responsible for my image, be responsible for my brand, and still find a line of symmetry to have a personal life and keep some of my private life just that. You know, I have to still be able to, because as we established, this is a business. Mm -hmm. Let's say, for example, that I decided, all right, Miss Portia, we have done all that Miss Portia is going to do. I still have to be Portia, you know? And even though Miss Portia is, is... my alter ego, um, Miss Portia will probably never have children, but Portia might, you know, Miss Portia probably will never have a husband, but Portia might, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It, it's it's the privacy, it's the separation. Mm-hmm. So I have to be careful with how much I'm going to invest in others, not to say that I don't care, just self-preservation. Do you find that people of your generation I tried to get you to tell me how old you were you wouldn't tell me uh, do, do you find the people of your generation tend to think more along the lines of what you're describing now or do, or do you find that your way of thinking is, is kind of an outlier 
from the people that are in your generation. With regard to uh, uh, correcting someone who has uh, disrespected you. I find that uh, my generation or the newer generation has an incredible, ridiculous <laughs> sense of entitlement. And um, because of that, it's hard to correct any of them. Um, they feel so entitled, You, there's no correction. They're right. They're all right at all times. And that's just not a battle I want to fight today. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to try to argue with somebody who is never wrong. And I've noticed that, like, even with the school, I have a lot of teachers, uh, a lot of friends that are teachers, all my Saras uh, teachers. Um, um, and... You'll see a lot of parents coming for the teacher versus coming for the the for correction their of the children. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, oh, and shout out to all the educators. You all do a wonderful job. But it's I I I could not do it. Mm-hmm. I could not do it. I could not be an educator because I just my defense mechanism is that wall that comes down mm-hmm. because this is too stressful. I would not be arguing with some parent about what their child did in my class, what I witnessed their child doing in my class. Mm Because I'm not here to lie to you. I'm here to educate. But if you feel like your child does nothing wrong, then you should be here every day. Or maybe you should educate them. You know, because... (sighs) Can we skip this subject? (laughs) It's getting stressful already. I'm I'm, I'm asking because I'm trying to to draw out... uh, uh, how people of your generation think, how they problem solve, how they approach uh, community issues. Uh, You're the psychology major. Uh, How people think and how they approach uh, pregnant problems within communities uh, have a lot to do with their psychological makeup. And psychological makeup, from my experience, has a lot to do with sociological background. Uh, it's it's very hard to distinguish psychology from sociology. Uh, the the economics of a person uh, shape how he thinks. Uh, the religious background of a person shapes how he thinks. The racial components and how that person is accepted, uh, both within the race and outside the race. All of these things shape the way that we think Mm -hmm. and generations think differently Uh, and and that difference in thinking is largely due to the fact that one generation has experienced something that someone else did not I use an example that that I was sharing with 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 my producer here Terrence uh, before we started recording Someone put on Facebook Thursday, we're recording on a Thursday, uh, someone put on Facebook today a picture of an old amusement park. You, you, you might be too young even to remember Funfair Park. Uh, oh, I've heard of that place. Uh, heard of it, yeah, but you're too young to remember. It, 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 it sat on the corner of Airline Highway and Florida Boulevard. Yeah. And, and this person say. is a younger person, really probably close to your age. And he, he was talking about what a wonderful experience it was and, and the fun time 
times that they had in Funk Fair Park, and there were several people who listed that as well. And I listed my first memory of Funk Fair Park, which was not a pleasant experience. I remember my mother, my brother, my sister, and myself being turned away from Funk Fair Park and being told that we don't serve Negroes here. That's my first memory of that. So that shapes my thinking and causes me to think very differently. When, when I see that picture, I don't see the wild mouse, or I don't see the bumper cars, or I don't see this, all the things that I came to enjoy later before they tore it down. And it was really a raggedy place, by the way. But uh, 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 my first memory, whenever I think of Funfair Park, and when I saw that picture, was none of those things. <laughs> my first memory was a 14 or 15 year old white kid telling my mother and my brother and my sister and me, we don't serve Negroes here. That shapes my thinking. And it, it doesn't just shape my thinking about that. It shapes my thinking about everything else. It, it is a part of my experience. And for somebody to tell me, get over it, or for somebody to tell me that you shouldn't let that affect you, it does. It is a part of who I am. It shapes who I am and who I am becoming. It shapes how I came to be where I am. So I'm, I'm, I'm digging in with you because I'm trying to discern. I'm, this, for me, is a journey of learning. I do this Absolutely. podcast to learn. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I'm trying to learn is I know how I think. I want to know how you think, and I want to know how people of your generation thinks, because ultimately, I think it will help me in my role as a minister, as a Christian, to better serve this community. And so I'm, I, I'm not just trying to be nosy. I'm just trying to figure out what's important and, and whether or not your, your thinking uh not just individually, but pervasively, your, your, your age group, your generation. What are the distinctions between the way that you think and the way that uh, preceding generations think? And if I can draw lines between my generation, which is a preceding generation, and your generation, which is a current generation, then it might help me to project into succeeding generations that well, come from behind you. I'm an unusual one because my mother, and we just talked about this recently, my mother was the last of um, of her parents, and she said they were pretty old when they had her. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of raised outside of a generation of her own. Mm -hmm. um, and because of what she learned, she kind of raised me outside of my generation. Mm -hmm. So that's why I always said that I was a little socially in awkward because I, my mom was the only one I could really relate to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my friends talked about certain things that were strange to me, and the only person that I would have to be a soundboard is my mom. Mm -hmm. So, like, I would tell her, and she'd be like, that's what the kids are talking about today. You know, like, it really wasn't a whole lot for me to... You know, she, she'd either shut it down and, you know, make it really ladylike, mm -hmm. or, um, or we just didn't discuss it. It's, mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Um, so when it comes to things in my generation, or the people in my generation, I, I may be, 
I may not be the best person okay. to ask. So, so, so then, going back to my original question, you think that perhaps your thought process, your 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 status, is an outlier from 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 my generation, from your generation. Absolutely. Do you have siblings? I do, and he's do your just siblings like me. think? Okay, he's, you he's have you like have me. a brother. He and okay. I um, think alike. Uh, oftentimes, people of my peers uh, make fun of me and call me Dr. Phil. I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm all right. Because I have like a kumbaya sense of trying to settle a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want it to be over. Yeah, whatever it is, I just, what, whatever's bothering you, if I could. Can it stay over if you don't actually deal with the issue? I think sometimes we're now, in I'm such, learning that we're, too. we're in such a rush for it to be over. We're not actually we're digging not to actually, the root of it. Yeah. And I agree with that. I do agree with that because I've noticed that in my family we will overlook some things and then it reoccurs and everybody's like, oh, I'm so dead. They always do this. They always do this mm-hmm. because we never say anything about it. Right. We never address it. Right. And um, I think that that is something that has, has taken place in this new generation too. Mm-hmm. I do notice that a lot of times uh, you hear parents say, oh, well, they just a kid, or they just a baby, or or that's just the way they are. And and that's okay for them to be the way that they are. But that doesn't mean that I have to allow them to be the way that they are at my mm-hmm. convenience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to have to set my boundaries just the same way that they set theirs. Right. Uh, and so... Yeah, I do agree with you on that as far as um, not unpacking an issue is a problem. But my issue was that I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't learn that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to confront some issues right away. I had to gradually build myself, because it was either I'm okay with it mm-hmm. or I'm extremely not okay with it. And, right. you know, and so there was no... Uh, midpoint, but I did have a mentor, um, and she kind of gave me some sound advice, and and you know, so I was able to come to the point where I learned how to uh, confront some of my issues, not as aggressively or not wait as long. So I do agree with you. We okay. need to unpack it, and probably as soon as possible, while it's at the lower level. I find that younger people, uh, and this is not going to turn into a. a of me just fussing about different generations, because it's true with many people in my generation as well. We want to be peacekeepers and not peacemakers. Uh, let me get preachy for just a second. Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount. Just a second. Well, don't you <laughs> Terrence will tell you, I don't preach on me. Uh, uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God." I think that we have misheard that or we have we have misidentified with that into reading it blessed are the peacekeepers. There's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Well, I, I think we have overlook stuff. They they, they they rub some salve on it and say, Baby, it's gonna be all right. Don't don't worry about it, leave it alone. Peacemakers recognize that sometimes you gotta dig into it and get the infection out before it's actually healed. You know. Uh, so I I, I'm, I struggle with the fact that people are too quick to want to move past things, and 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 they don't. Want, if nobody gets stressed, then how are things going to be resolved? Okay, so here's the here's the other problem. 
you have people who don't get stressed right that don't dig out enough affection right and then you got people over here ready to cut the whole hand off right all right so but between those two polar opposites there there, there is a place in there the middle there is a happy medium yes absolutely yeah. everything in moderation i, I agree I, i'm not interested in doing amputation but I'm also not interested in just putting a Band-Aid on it, it and acting and, and acting like everything Absolutely. is fine. I am. We we are here. Okay. We here. All three of them. We we here. Good. We cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We okay. are here. However, there is no one teaching conflict resolution. There is no one teaching how to get to that happy medium. See, so many times we are celebrating petty. I'm, I'm so petty. I'm so petty. <sighs> Here's the Dr. Phil. I have had some relationships where when I ended it, I was like, what is it going to take you to be happy? And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you want everything inside of my house to move on, okay, come get it. If it'll make you feel better. Because mm -hmm. I'm about promoting peace of mind mm -hmm. and and. and Man, that's so crazy. My friend and I, we were just talking about how people in relationships, in all relationships, we claim to love so hard. You know, I love you, I love you, I love you, until you do something I don't like. Right. And then I can't stand you. Right. So bad to where I remember everything that you told me in the confidence because I loved you. Right. And I'm going to use all of those things to hurt you. Yeah. To manipulate you to do what I want you to yes. do. Yes. Yes. Because my happiness means more than yours, and I don't love you like I claim to love you. That's that's what it equates to me. Yeah. Because that's not what love is. I have seen that happen many, many times. So I, why can't I, we just say, I love you, I'm not in love with you, and let's see how we can make this thing yeah. work where you can go your way and I'll go mine. Yeah. And a lot of times people say that that oh I don't I gotta get my respect I gotta well how much does this respect we gotta learn when we winning we gotta learn when we winning like my friend wanted to sit in this chair and so she raised you need to get out the chair you need to baby here goes you need to get in the chair <laughs> yeah because she shouldn't have never sat in my chair never, but baby you sitting in the chair you won yeah you won yeah why are you still fighting yeah. no because it's about her sitting in my chair is it is it? So where do you think that comes from? Um, I would say misery. I would say we get so comfortable in the misery that by the time we are winning, we are so resentful. We can't even accept and appreciate it. And I say that from the standpoint of a woman because if I had to beg you 10 times to wash these dishes and I came home on the 11th day and you finally washed them, I don't care no more. Now I want to throw the dishes out the window. <laughs> like, I'm so angry. It took me to tell you 10 times to get it right. It's so hard to accept it. And then, so, you upset because you was like, now you done fussed at me for 10 days. I done washed the dishes. I don't want to hear your mouth no more. But, you know, it, it's just a, a matter of people not taking the time to understand that emotions, although not tangible, they're real. This person is feeling some kind of way because you made them feel that way. Now, since you have righted the wrong, 
move out of the way and let them deal with the emotion. If you allow them to unpack their own emotion, they'll be fine. For those who have the resentment, if you cannot get over it right away, remove yourself because you're embarrassing yourself. Emotions are real. You have to go through them. All of us do, different as they may be. But if it's a, a sign of anger or something that, that's going to create hostility, to, because that, that's the only one I see that is the biggest problem is anger. You know, when you're angry, remove yourself. What happened to forgiveness? What happened? You, you, you were raised People in took the advantage church. of it. You, you were raised in the church. And I'm and and I'm sure that you were taught to forgive. Man, I forgave you, and you, you came you, back, and you did you, it again. Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive yeah, someone who wrongs me? Seven surely ought to be enough, right, you Lord? Know, but you know that's and, Jesus, and, and, and I'm Portia. Okay, yeah, but but you, Portia is expected to be Jesus. Oh, Lord, y'all need to lower them expectations because <laughs> He ain't done with me, Lord. I don't think I don't think Jesus. I don't think God expects me to be like Jesus. He won't. Have you read? I, he won't me to be. If you've read it, and I know but you have, then okay, he, he, know, knows, he knows eventually I'm gonna get there. He, he knows your heart. But he also has an expectation. And you ain't getting nowhere until you start taking some steps. You ain't getting I nowhere. Think God expects me you're to not, be you're exactly not who I am by claiming the right to not move. No, no, no. That's not what I said. <laughs> I, I, I'm not there yet. So don't expect anything oh, I'm more working of on me. me. I'm working on me, but he don't expect me to be where you think I'm going how, how old were you when you started to talk? Two, three? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and and I would imagine that one among the first things that you were taught, uh, that, that, that you were given to memorize was the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Probably and, after and, the ABCs. And, 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 and there's a part in there that says, forgive us our debts or forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Amen. So, so this has been with us from the earliest moments of our consciousness. Absolutely. And I'm not picking on you. I'm simply raising mm, the I'm question. Not. I'm asking the question, if we're so angry, where does forgiveness come in? Isn't forgiveness a part of the process of assuaging the anger? Yes, it is. And a lot of times people say, forgive, forgive, forgive. Okay, for me, example, my mother is a great forgiver. She would forgive and forget. She would wash her hands and turn the page okay. and give you a brand new cheek. Now, me, on the other hand, I watched you slap her, and I don't like it. I have, I have not ever associated forgetting with forgiving. Unless, yes. Un unless you have dementia, <laughs> unless you have Alzheimer's, you're not likely to forget the wrong that was done. And by the way, forgetting was never a part of the mandate. What was a part of the mandate was pardoning the wrong. And then what happens And next? loving them in spite of the wrong. And then what happens next? If they wrong you again, you pardon them again. Yes, it's fanatical. Yes, it's radical. But is that not what we have been taught in scripture and, and and my larger question is do we truly embrace that or are are we with every succeeding generation because mind you my generation ain't There's got it right things either that we were taught that we have to unteach ourselves were we not taught that men weren't supposed to wear a garment of a woman and vice versa yeah that was stupidity. okay well, all right well you know if we throw stuff out but 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 
when it said that about men not wearing the garments of women, and people took that to mean that women can't wear pants, that was stupid because pants was a European concept, and this was done in a pre-European uh, uh, age uh, with uh, Middle Eastern people who were living <clears throat> in Northern Africa and in Central Asia, where all men wore robes. So the, the whole concept of, of that meaning that women can't wear pants was a misnomer to begin with. It's, it's the foolishness that people do with scripture. But what I'm talking about with forgiveness is not foolishness. What I'm talking about with forgiveness is the benefit that comes to people when they learn the blessing of forgiving. It's not just for the person who has wronged you. It's for your benefit as well, because you just said they're so angry. Wouldn't it be nice not to be angry all the time? I, I, I'm just curious. Would, would, would you not oh, I, I, be, not you individually? That. Yeah. Would, would you not be a happier person if you weren't always sitting there with your guard up waiting to see who's going to wrong you so that you can strike. Wouldn't life be a little bit sweeter if, if you could just embrace the whole concept of forgiveness? And I find it troubling that uh, people are being raised in churches, going to Sunday school, going to worship, reading the Bible, wanting to learn more about other religions because Christianity isn't the only religion. I, I have a lot of people now who are, who are investigating Christianity and they have problems from a cultural standpoint about this aspect of Christianity and that aspect of Christianity and maybe we need to expand it. And yet in all that expansion, nobody gets to the place where they can actually just embrace the whole concept of forgiving. The simplest concept the, 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 the most universal concept that, that Jesus ever taught was, as I have loved you, love one another. Now, that doesn't require a whole lot of interpretation. It really does. And yet I find that something as simple as loving people because becomes, becomes a difficult process. Because it's for always folks. said, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. Right. That, that, is, that is what is preached. Right. No one teaches the art of conflict resolution in that instance because, as you stated, no one's saying that you should forget. But you also are not, you need to teach people how to set up boundaries and not allow people to overstep their bounds. The reason why the resentment comes from is from an excessive amount of forgiving you and you taking advantage of my forgiveness. That's where the that's where the problem lies. How are we gonna fix it? It's your job, Pastor. I don't know. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get you to help me to do my job. Well, I'm telling you where the problem. I, is. I'm trying to get you to you help me to, to do my job. You have to allow people to understand how to effectively set boundaries and, in a sense, defend themselves. Nobody wants to be a pushover. Nobody wants to continuously allow someone to hurt them just because they love them. I'm not going to enslave myself to your love just because you keep telling me that you love me. I'm not asking anybody to enslave themselves. To, That's what it to is to me when you continue abuse. to tell me what to I am. You. What I am suggesting is that 
a lot of the anger that that you have correctly, to my way of thinking, described, exists because we're not just responding to people who have wronged us. We're waiting for the next person to wrong us. Absolutely. So that we can make sure that... The wish sure factor that, is yeah. in, in, in Please come. What, what, Do I wish somebody What, what is would? it that Liam Neeson just uh, uh, ad, ad, admitted to the other day that uh, something happened 40 years ago in his life involving a black person and he went out searching for black people wanting them to attack him so that he could kill a black person and he had to seek psychological counseling in order to 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 get beyond that and and this movie that he's about to come out in uh, they're they're withholding the movie now because of, of this that has come out and all I'm saying is that kind of anger is not just existing in a Liam Neeson it exists in people every Absolutely. day because I mean it, you and can it's talk not about an Liam anger Neeson. over what somebody did to you yesterday it's an anger in anticipation of what somebody else is going to do to me in the next moment I mean we had a lot of controversy when it talked about our muting R. Kelly Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of people talking about, like you said, the wish factor. That was my child. I was, you know, uh, okay. Well, let's be thankful it's not your child. You know, first and foremost, let's let's be thankful of the things that we can control. And then let let's not be so on your mark on things. It's good to think about what would happen and talk about the risk of what could happen and have a, a safety plan. Um, for measure, but it's not one to have yourself on your shoulders waiting for something to pop off. I, I, I agree with you on that. You know, you preach to the choir on that note. However, there is no one having these conversations to say, okay, I have a friend that I like to say I talk her off the ledge all the time. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm finna go in there, I'm finna go tell this woman. She, she's dating someone, and the mother is not receptive her and her mama said this and you know the mama said that and I said okay well she's she's gonna go and confront the mother and and I just said that that's just not your place friend Mm -hmm. you know she was like she she listened to me a little while and then she said you're right you know because no one's talking us off the ledge Mm -hmm. we got hype men you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm mm-hmm. finna go and this is McDonald's and set it off. Come on, friend, we with you. Right. You know, no, we need somebody to say, now what is that gonna prove, friend? How are you gonna set it off at the at the McDonald's? Now you're gonna go to jail and, you know, now you done created another problem for yourself. Um, you went to the McDonald's, the people didn't have what you want, you got your refund. You just won. You just won. Let it go. So what can the church do? This is a a, a, a church product. I think thrive, there needs thrive, to be more social. A, what, what can the church do to help facilitate the kind of conflict resolution that you're describing? Anger management. I think that we need to do a lot more therapy. I think it's a lot of people out there that need soundboards. People need to be able to have some place to comfortably and safely be vulnerable and explain about a situation and say what they were thinking without you saying, girl, you shouldn't have thought that. You know, you should be able to say, nah, oh, child, I understand how you feel that way or how you could feel that way. But have you thought about doing it this way? You know, as again, as Dr. Phil as it has been, 
I don't have a rap sheet. You know, so it's working. You just you just need somebody to tell you how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody. At first, I didn't have a whole lot. My mama, she don't deal with it. She doesn't deal with it. If she can make it go away, it's going away. But I noticed that if you make it go away, it's going to come back. So yeah. I had to find a safe way to unpack it. And so when I found my way, I started helping my friends with their way. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that. Um, the friends that I've acquired, they're calmer. Even They have even helped me sometimes because I get on, on my feelings and they were like, maybe you just need to go and take a bath. I'm going to try to take that as though you're not saying I stink, but, <laughs> but I'm going to go and take that bath because you might have something, you know, you might have something there. And after the bath, I call them back and say, you know what, you was right. I was thinking about it. And, uh, you know, I was able to come because when you're angry, your thoughts come in really quick mm-hmm. and, 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 <laughs> and all of them can be worked out in your head, mm-hmm. but you just have to be careful that we're not talking about, cause I'm gonna go over there and set it off. And while you may have made them fear you for the respect that you're trying to achieve, you're now also locked up and it's a spirit, uh, victory. You, <laughs> you know, you won, but what did you win? Mm-hmm. You know, so we just have to teach people how to appreciate the win, how to calmly and comfortably achieve the win, how to give soundboard of advice. Um, talk about a lot of hot, hypothetical situations. Bring up some conflicts that you that you may that may never happen. You know, but it will give you a chance to see what means something to people, what doesn't. It, it'll give you an idea to see. Uh, what is valued, you know, what their pride values uh, are, and and you can teach them, you can give them something else to value. You see, as a preacher, I think that the best example I can give you is Jesus. And yet when I threw Jesus out to you, your first response was, I ain't Jesus. And, And so I'm trying to discover what other example I can I can use? Someone a, a, that I a more pragmatic example, perhaps a more contemporary example. Uh, well, Jesus well, doesn't fit the the, the well. Y'all, the model. I mean, you have to think about it in the sense that we describe Jesus as perfect, and you also humanly accept the fact that we are not. So clearly, if Jesus is perfect. I am. I, got, I, I ain't perfect. So I need to. But don't you I do aspire? want to. I, I do aspire. I was getting ready to say that. I do aspire to be more Christ-like, I, but. But not in the manner of forgiveness. I, and not, I'm not talking that about That is not you. what I said. I, I, but that I, is I, not I, what I, I said. I'm, try, I'm trying to finish your thought. Well, don't. Okay. Okay. So here's the thought. We want to be more Christ-like, but we need to do it in our own way. And we may need some examples to figure out our own way. Because the biggest issue with people is that people are trying to stuff people in somebody else's idea of them. I don't need you to cookie cut who I am. I need to figure out who I am and what is best for me. And that's a lot of these teens. You know, that's the same as these teenagers. Oh, Lord, they smelling themselves, so to speak. But right. it's because they're trying to define themselves. Mm-hmm. So allow them or arm them, if you will, with options 
so that they can make sound decisions. You know, give them, give them the ammunition they need. Because bottom line is nobody wants to be disrespected, you know, and a lot of them don't want to be disrespectful, but they don't have the best examples. So if you want to help, give them options. Allow them to think they're choosing sometimes. You know, just allow them to choose. Because sometimes I, um, sometimes life is just built of a lot of crappy decisions. You know, how I, I, I hate to bring up this statement. People say slavery was a choice, okay? You know, and I don't want to pe- speak of the person. I'm not trying to get too... Uh, <laughs> trying to get too deep with mm-hmm. some of my topics. But to understand what he's saying is that you had one sh- you had one crappy decision or another, mm-hmm. you know. And in, in that way, he's right. You know, you could either choose to live and be a slave or you could choose to try to escape and live without your limbs or, you know, try to escape and die. Or you could possibly get away. So you made a choice. Mm -hmm. If you stayed, you made a safe choice. Mm -hmm. You know, a safer choice for you. But all of these were crappy decisions. Mm -hmm. These are crappy choices. Mm -hmm. But you had to make one. Mm -hmm. And you had to live with it. So it's just like sometimes people are faced with crappy choices. And if you can help them go through the consequences and figure out which choice is the best for them, they would make better decisions. But a lot of times people make bad decisions because they don't think they have an option. They don't think they have this, they have choices. They think the only thing they know how to do is set it off. Can I ask you a personal question? You're gonna do it anyway. Not if you tell I'm me no. Praying. Go ahead. <laughs> do you still go to church? I do. Do you do do the people of your generation, your social circle, your friends, your colleagues, do they go to church? Some of them. I'm just trying to, f- to 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 gauge what is the level of authority or influence that the church still has uh, within certain generations of. People. I think people are getting away from the Bible very much so because it's a lot of. Um, contradiction between the I don't want to touch this topic I don't <laughs> let's see I've come up with about three different topics that that, that, that you didn't want to oh, Lord. that you didn't want to I don't I don't really like to talk about religion a whole lot because I don't want people to you know my beliefs are mine you ain't changing my mind you know I will change my mind but um, I'm not asking you to espouse a view I'm asking you to help me to understand what shapes people's thinking and does the church still play a major role in shaping how people think i think the church can play a major role in how people think but i don't think it is the same regards of the the church it's not the symbolism of the church i believe it's the socialism of of the church um people are now going to church more because my grandma going to go go you know, um, but as far as how they govern themselves, it's not in the same respects. It, it clearly isn't. I, I I feel like people believe in God, 
Um, but I don't feel like they're following the Bible as much. I don't. I feel like a lot of that is coming because this new generation don't like to read. They probably can't even identify the Bible. But, you know, a lot of things, you know, they, they get away from reading. Now, if you make a, a, a video game about the Bible, you know, we might have some. But uh, right now... They actually exist. I ain't telling you that they don't. Yeah. But they ain't no. popping on the... Uh, that ain't, no. That ain't what my nephew's playing. No. No. So... And, uh, but this has been an interesting conversation. <laughs> uh, tell me about your your, your, your most recent album. Um, how how many tracks are there? It's ten. And of the ten, if you had to list your favorite, which, which would be your favorite? They're all my favorite because those are my, that's my baby. Those are your babies. That's my baby. That's my first. That is the proof that I am on this earth. I left my mark right there. (laughs) But I I like the title, All In My Feelings, because it describes what I was going through at the time. I'm going to listen. Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, (laughs) And and I don't typically do that, Uh, but but, but I'm going going to listen. And uh, I hope to learn. Uh, And and I'm sure I'll enjoy it. (laughs) <laughs> Portia, Miss Portia, <laughs> thank both of you for sharing with us today on the Thrive Podcast. Thank you. Hope you'll come back again sometime. I would love to come back. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for viewing. We'll be back again sometime. <laughs>